And welcome to the Pillars of Smoke podcast. I'm Mac. And I'm Sam. All right, let's get this part going. Moving us along. That's right. Moving us along. <laughs> Let's go ahead and move along with this thing. <laughs> if you have been joining us for the past four weeks. Four? Four. We have been going through the Old Testament, the Tanakh. We have gone through the Torah, which is the first five books. We uh, went through the Navim in two parts. It's part one, part two. And we are going through the Ketuvim. No, hold on. It's five weeks, bro. This is the fifth week. No, it's five weeks. This it's is five weeks because we did week five. In, No, because we did. We did the uh, Torah. No, yeah. Navim part one and part two, and then Ketuvim part one. Yeah, but before the Torah, we did uh, Back to the Roots, which was an overview, overview of the Oh, my goodness. Oh yeah. Five weeks. Welcome to week six. Yeah, welcome we to week can't six. Even keep up with ourselves. That's right. <laughs> and the only reason I know that is because I have it open in front of me. I mean it's a good thing though. I mean, oh it's yeah. Not a, it's not no. a bad thing. No, yeah, it's a great thing. Sam. Yes, sir. Tell us a little bit, bro. Tell us a little bit of what we have going on today. So the Ketuvim, uh, we started off last week with the uh the books of poetry. So we looked at uh Job. Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and we also looked at what was the other one? Lamentations. Lamentations. We looked at Lamentations. Lamentation. As well. uh, and we also looked at Proverbs. Uh, yeah. Those were five books. Uh, Psalms is also in the book of poetry, but Psalms is big enough that we're going to give you that own, its own episode. It's going to be a treat next week. That one's going to be a nice treat for you guys. Uh, this week, and there's some debate. There's some debate on whether these are part of the Ketuvim or the Navim, mm-hmm. uh, depending on who you're talking to. They put it in the Navim, and, and if you're looking at it from its original standpoint, it falls within the Ketuvim. So these next books that we're going to be covering are Ruth, First uh, and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And those are the, uh, that's the order that our canon has it in. Yeah. That's the order of, of the, the Christian Bible of how it has it placed in there. Ooh. 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 <laughs> this man just burned himself. <laughs> Almost stepped into a candle. These mosquitoes in Miami are real, and I got a citronella candle right at my feet, and I'll step in that thing. But we're going to kick this off. We are going to go into Ruth. The Book of Ruth. The Book of Ruth. Now, again, we always want to look at what we're what we're really trying to look at here is 
for for most of these books is how the meta how the meta narrative of scripture gets carried along uh and ruth is one of those pivotal books uh we start off with hold on i don't have my bible open here oh wow yeah i know sinner what a um, sinner what a sinner Pecador. no man not that bad what's wrong with you all right so uh ruth chapter one verse one it says in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land and a man of bethlehem and judah went to sojourn in the country of moab he and his wife and his two sons the name of the man was elamelech and the name of his wife naomi and the names of his two sons were malone and chilion they were ephrathites from bethlehem and judah they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimech, El- Elimelech, I'm just going to call him Eli, but Eli, the <laughs> husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, which Israelites are not supposed to do. Oh, shame, shame. And the name of the one was Oprah. No, I'm kidding. Orpah. And the name of the Oprah. other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malone and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Melion and Kilion. Is it Melion and Kilion? Yeah, they, oh. they sound like Klingon names. Well, this is Malone. This is Malone here. Malone? M-A-H-L-O-N. Malone. Malone. Like wow, Post some, Malone. Translations is, uh, some translations I've seen Melion. Oh. And Killian. Well, this is, I don't know, what is this? This is uh, ESV. Wow. Yeah, I'm alone. So, here we have a story of a woman who has been widowed and is left with her two daughter-in-laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, when, you know, in this uh, culture, if a woman's husband died, depending on her age, she was allowed to remarry. If she was already old and advanced in years, she was tasked with taking care of the temple. Sure. Uh, but since they are not anywhere near the temple, and they are not in their own country, mm-hmm. that does not apply anymore. So Naomi is going to make her way back home, and uh, she gives her daughter-in-laws the option. You can either come with me. I mean, I do consider you my daughters. Uh, or you can... Or I release you from our family. Right. You're, you're good to go find your own husband wherever you want right, to go. Right. So Orpah kind of takes that and she's like, all right, I'm out, deuce. And then Ruth looks at her and says, no, I'm like, you, you are my family now. Like, in, in, in a very uh, paraphrase, <laughs> you are my family. But then the beauty of it is in, where did it go? 116. 116. So 115 and 116, uh, Naomi talking to Ruth, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For you go, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Mm. Mm. So this is the beauty of grafting in. Ruth is grafting in to the family of Israel. That's she's right. grafting into the nation of Israel through Naomi. After all, she did marry an Israelite man. And this is like the really big crux of this. Because yeah. within Ruth, we have something that is called a kinsman redeemer. That's right. So Naomi travels back over to her country with Ruth. And she goes to be with her clan, her people, her tribe. And within that, Naomi's like, well, I, I can't really give you another son of mine because I don't have any more kids and (laughs) you'd be waiting till you were my age for that kid to grow up in order to marry him. So we're going to try to set you up with one of my kinsmen. 
Uh, and here we meet Obadiah. Boaz. Boaz. Why did I say Obadiah? Obadiah is an entirely different book of the Bible. Well, I mean, you're all. Yeah, I'm you're, all over the place today. I just got back from vacation. So that's I'm right. Sorry. <laughs> and this recording caught him by surprise, too. My brain is still on slight vacay mode. Uh, but we have, but we meet a man named Boaz who is pretty much like. He, like, you can consider him like a high-level person within yeah. the within the town yeah. that they're in. He's, he's like, he's practically like the mayor. Everyone yeah. looks up to him. He employs a lot of people. He does great stuff. Uh, he does a he does a really uh, a lot of great things in this. He owns fields of yeah. of crops and everything. And one of the things that Naomi tells Ruth is, "Hey, look, go and work for him. Yeah, and just you know, he'll allow you to graze from from the field like." Bring back to bring back to you and me like any food that he allows you to keep and just continue to serve him. And through Ruth serving Boaz, Boaz notices her. That's right. And Naomi makes the plea to Boaz, "Hey, look, this was my this was my daughter in law. Mm-hmm. Would you take her in as your kinsman, as like as a as the kinsman redeemer role? Would you take her as your wife?" So Boaz at first was like. Okay, well, I don't want to jump to that right right immediately. Let's see if we can find a different suitor for her. And if we can't find a different suitor for her, then I will take her in. I will take her in as my own. So he goes about it, and he tries to do it, and it doesn't happen. And then he's like, okay, I'll take her in. But the beauty of Ruth is that here is a woman who did not belong to Israel. That's right. Married into it and becomes a widow. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like... The Lord kind of like, hey, you can go one one of two ways. <laughs> like, you can you can leave or you can stay, yeah. and and it's and it's so much more pivotal because it's not even so much of the fact that she stayed with Naomi and, and decided to become an Israelite and marries Boaz and everything else. She decides to make God Yahweh her God. Yeah, she had the opportunity to go back to her pagan gods. Absolutely, and she didn't. That speaks testimony. Absolutely. It speaks gigantic testimony of who Naomi was, of who her family was. I, granted, a lot of people's in-laws are not good in-laws. Yeah. I am blessed with the fact that I have amazing in-laws. Like, but there are not a lot of in-laws that are out there that are, that are to the point where it's like, hey, you know, you no really longer have a tie to me. You can leave. But here... She was so good to her that she stayed. Mm-hmm. But in within this, we have that great gospel of Boaz. That's right. As, his, uh, I'm not going to call him a Christophany, but it's a very big symbolism of Christ later yeah. on in the future who takes in people who are not his own. Mm-hmm. He grafts them into his family by marrying them through the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ right. being the church. So the book of Ruth shows us a picture of Christ and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. Boaz was a qualified redeemer to Naomi. He was a family member. He had the means of purchasing her land. He had the willingness to buy the land and marry Ruth. Jesus has done this for us. Absolutely. He became one of us. He was capable of buying us back. And he was willing to buy us back, setting us an example of self of a self-sacrificing husband. Amen. That is beautiful. It's a beautiful picture, and 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 in all in all reality, Ruth is not a very big book. No, it's, it's not. It's it's only about four chapters long. Uh, the way it's broken down, um, chapter one, Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. Uh, chapter two, Ruth gleans in Boaz's field. 
uh, chapter three, Ruth proposes to Boaz, which is funny. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. Uh, and then uh, chapter four is broken up into two parts. Verses one through 15, Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. Mm-hmm. And then 16 through 22, King's David, King David's genealogy. Whoop, I missed a piece. Yep. Yeah. So it is through Ruth and Boaz's marriage. Well, that was kind of like the crowning jewel of this. Yeah, so that, I was, that, that was like where you crowning, were going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it's King David's line. So as we see the meta narrative of scripture. Uh, comes from the marriage of Ruth and Boaz. Because of the because of the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, they have a son by the name of don't say it, Mag. I'm, I'm jumping to the verse. 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 Ruth four eighteen uh, through twenty two. Uh, now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishon. Nishon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. So Ruth was the great-great-grandma of King David. And had Ruth not been grafted into the Israelite nation, first through Naomi and then her continuation through Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, David's line would not have been created. You know what's interesting? That in, in Jewish, um, I guess in Jewish culture, the the Jewish line is not carried through the males. It's carried through the females. It's carried through the females. How Which is so interesting. Very interesting that uh, Ruth was not a born Jew, mm. but she was grafted in mm-hmm. and naturalized as a Jew. She became a Jew and therefore giving her the right of any Jewish born citizen mm. woman to even carry on that lineage of, of, uh, of history and even allowing her to then be tied later on in the future to Jesus, to the true Huge. Messiah. Huge. To, you know, to, to, to one who comes from the line of David. So, you know, talk about how just Jesus is, he, he brings in both uh, this is a perfect picture of how Jesus both brings in Jew and Gentile, mm-hmm. even and from the beginning of the Israelite nation. Absolutely, because we don't just and that see was that. The plan. That, was the, that was the plan the entire time, and we don't just see it here with Ruth. We also see it prior to Ruth with Rahab. Mm-hmm. In what is it, Joshua? Rahab was in Joshua. Yeah, right? yeah. We Joshua. see it. We see it with Rahab uh, in, in the book of Joshua, five. where it's the same thing. They came upon the city. Same thing. They came upon a city and they were going to destroy the entire city and their spies were, were their spies were pretty much their cover was blown. Yep. And this prostitute Rahab takes them in and says, Oh, you you guys are the Israelites, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, oh we've I've, heard of your God. I, we've heard of what your God has been doing to all <laughs> oh, the yeah. other cities and you're going to destroy yeah, everyone. Yeah. Hey, it I will help you guys get out of here yep. if you allow me and my family to be grafted into your into your nation. Yeah. And they're like, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's go. Come on. <laughs> and they let her out and her family, anyone who was in her household, 
yep. when the city was crumbled her house was perfectly fine everyone else's was not yep. and they brought her in so it's not the first and, and and it's i believe rahab is also in that same line yep rahab is. is also in the she lineage is. she is in the lineage so it's of like david she's in the lineage of david even before so it's like you can see that constant grafting in that the lord does Yep. to bring gentiles into the israelite nation and he uses them as part of his whole plan absolutely and it's be- it's just, it's just a beautiful thing to see yep. especially later on when we get into the gospels and you get into romans 9 where it talks about the grafting in of people into the israelites like it's just it's just huge it's really really big so that's ruth in a nutshell uh and again it's four chapters long so it kind of is a nutshell to begin with but yeah <laughs> <laughs> mag where are we going to next sir all right we are going to the book of esther Oof. so the book of esther was uh it has no designated writer mm-hmm. uh, nobody really claims it but it, you know some scholars they attribute it to uh to mordecai you know he was a there's a a major chapter in in the book of ruth uh excuse me in the book of esther that that ties him to ezra and nehemiah you know so they they're they're contemporaries they're all contemporaries with each other um who had who would have been familiar with uh with persian uh, customs which they were living at this point in exile and they were away from from their homeland they were away from jerusalem they were away from israel Mm. they were living in a country that was not of their own so you know ezra nehemiah esther they they were all written around a very similar time so they were it, uh, the book of esther was written in between 460 and 350 bc uh the purpose of this book it's uh, it's, a, it's a very critical one to the meta narrative so the, par- uh, the the purpose of the book of esther is to display the providence of god so especially in regard to his chosen people of Israel, especially to them, um, given the idea and the fact that they are in exile. You know, when you're in exile, you're not really feeling like the chosen people. Nope. Um, so the book of Esther, it kind of records the institutions of the Feast of, of Purim and, and, you know, other obligations of this um, of this you know it's like perpetual obligations that they have to they have to keep going so the book of esther was you know it was it was read to the within this feast of purim um to commensurate the great deliverance of the jewish people um from the uh, you know from the nations that they were that they were in exile to so imagine being in exile having to celebrate um israel's deliverance from other places so that's (laughs) talk about a little uh irony there so major irony yeah 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 so that's what uh that's 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 a little bit of a backdrop here to to the book of esther um did you burn yourself again (laughs) it's not that i'm burning myself i keep knocking myself into that candle (laughs) so jews today even in today they still read the book of esther during uh during purim um, so some major verses here that are to keep in mind is Esther chapter two, verse 15. It says like this. Now, when the time came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than Haggai. Hmm. Um, the king, un- the, uh, excuse me, the king's eunuch, 
I was, I was about to read it. The King Eunuch. <laughs> I was like, there's a king named Eunuch? Well, the that king sucks. was a eunuch? What? So the, the king's eunuch, um, who was in charge of, of harem, uh, in charge of the harem was suggested. Um, so a, a little summary here for, for the book of Esther. Uh, this book was delivered in three main sections. So chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 18, you know, it's Esther replaces Vashti. Then you have uh, chapter 2, 19 through 7 through 10. It's Mordecai overcomes Haman. Then we have chapter 8, 10 through, uh, 10 through 10, 3. Chapter 8 through 10, 3. Um, Israel survives um, um, Haman's attempt to destroy all of them. So then the noble, Esther, risked her own life as she realized that um, she was at stake. She, she was kind of like at stake here uh, in a very difficult circumstance. She, she willingly did what, what could have been a deadly maneuver for her. And, and she, took, um, she took in basically a second command of her husband's. She kind of like took in command of her husband's kingdom, Haman. Um, so, and, and she provided a wise and most worthy opponent. She, she proved to be very worthy uh, to, to not only Israel, but also to Haman. Um, all the while remaining humble and respectful to the, you know, to the position of her, of her, uh, of her husband. So Esther's story is much like one of Joseph in, Gen in Genesis 41. Mm -hmm. You know, both stories involve foreign, uh, they, they involve foreign monarchs who control the destiny of all the Jews. Uh, both accounts show um, heroism of Israelites involved individuals who provide uh, who, who, who provide the means for salvation of the people and for the nation. Uh, the hand of God is, uh, is very evident in, in all that's taken place and all those bad situations is in, you can clearly tell Mm -hmm. That Almighty God is the one here orchestrating all of the events that are going on. Um, so Haman's goal was was the final, um, or his final efforts. Sorry, hold on. Break Mag, part. Mag was not on vacation. No, I was not on vacation. <laughs> I was working. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and it's late. It is. It is. Sorry. Give me a second. All good. All right. Haman. Haman's goal is is kind of like the final effort um, in the recorded Old Testament prior to to the complete destroying er, eradication of mm -hmm. all the Jews. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of like the final plan to really try to. Um, basically do an entire genocide eliminate of the them. Jews, like completely eliminate them. So his plan eventually ends up 
um, with his own with his own demise. It kind of like got twisted on him, and it, it, it's definitely a story worth reading if, mm-hmm. if you ever have the opportunity. Um, and it and it's eventually and and the evaluation of his his en- enemy Mordecai uh, to his position. So basically, what happened is that Mordecai kind of like turns the tables on him, and so does. So does Esther, and, and basically he was the one who ended up um, getting screwed over. Oh, definitely. Um, so that's Esther. That's Esther. I mean, that's uh, Esther has a lot of imagery, a lot of foreshadowing that happens. Um, and Esther, we're you know we're we're kind of given a behind the scenes look of what's going on at a struggle of satan against the purposes of god and eventual and and especially against um his his promised messiah Mm -hmm. um so the entrance of christ into the human race was uh what was predicted upon the existence of the people um excuse me upon the existence of the human race so just as humans plotted against uh, against Jews in order to destroy them, so has Satan set himself against Christ and God's people. So just as humans defeated the the gallows um, he built for Mordecai, um, so does Christ use very, you know the very weapons that that his enemies um, you know des- deceive to destroy him and this and the spiritual seeds you know for. And the cross by by which Satan planned to destroy the Messiah was the very means through which the Messiah, having um, uh, having canceled basically the the written code. Mm-hmm. So, you know, according to and we see that in in Colossians chapter two, fourteen through fifteen. So check it out. It, it says like this: um, having canceled the written code with the regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took away nailing it to the cross and having, um, and having disarmed the power and authorities, he made public uh, spectacle of them, mm. triumphing over them by the cross. So, so just as humans, you know, we, we hang on the gallows built by Mordecai, so the devil um, was crushed by the cross um, that, that he erected to destroy Christ. So it's kind of like a, a, a twisting of what's going on here. It's kind of like the joke's on you. You, mm-hmm. you. you plan to destroy us. Well, my God has the last word. So that's, that's essentially the book of Esther. And fun fact about Esther, mm-hmm. uh, God is never mentioned once. No, oh, yeah, that's true. Sorry about that. Yeah, God is never mentioned once in there, so it speaks volumes of what your personal testimony yeah. does, yeah, and your character of who you are, according to living to God's word. Uh, so, it what's cool is that Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah are all in the same vein with same purpose. They're all talking about returning the Jews to their own nation because they're currently all in exile. So Ezra and Nehemiah would be next. Uh, Originally, Ezra and Nehemiah were considered to be 
two parts of one book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so original Tanakh would just say Ezra, not Ezra, and Nehemiah. It would just have Nehemiah within Ezra towards the end. And both of these have to do with restoring Israel, uh, specifically Jerusalem. So Ezra, both Ezra and Nehemiah both talk to their kings that are in Babylon to go back to Israel, Jerusalem, to restore either, uh, in Ezra's case, it's to restore the temple. And in Nehemiah's case, it's actually to restore the city. Yep. Uh, and I'm giving to you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving these both at the same time because they both have very similar things about them. Um, in that it's just rebuilding the people. Yeah. It's rebuilding Jerusalem. It's rebuilding the people. And the biggest thing in both of them is that they both have a call to return back to remembering the law of Moses. Because at this point in time, the the Israelites have completely just thrown it out the window. Sure. Like none of them remember any, like it's not even, it's not that they don't remember it because they still have scribes that are in exile and they still know all these things and and I'm sure that there's still copies of stuff back there. But it was more essence of people were no longer following right. God's law anymore. So when they returned to Jerusalem it's kind of like what Josh. Uh, it was kind of like the charge that Joshua was given when they came back into when they came into the land of Canaan, where it's like, "Hey, uh, this was the law that was given. Make sure that you actually obey this thing." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so it's it's the same thing here with Ezra and Nehemiah. So Ezra's main thing is that you know he's rebuilding the temple. The temple has been destroyed in that last uh, attack by Babylon. Um, so his thing is he wants to rebuild the temple. Yeah. Uh, he wants to restore the temple to what it was. It won't be the same temple that Solomon had built no. uh, at all, but they're going to try to get it to something of its former glory. Um, so that's a really big thing there in Ezra. And then the bigger thing is uh, chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 10. Yep. It says... Uh, well, I'll just read from seven, 7 through 10. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the, in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had his had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So for Ezra, it was really important for the people to return back to the rules and statutes that the Lord had set because they had been disobeying him for so long. They had been disciplined for so many years in exile that Ezra was like, okay, there is an importance of obeying God's law. Yep. We don't want to be disciplined like this again. We need to make sure that we're following this so this doesn't happen to us all over again because then all of this was for nothing. Uh, and Ezra does take some risks in asking Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the temple. Duh. Because it's like, I'm sorry, uh, I don't worship your God. Yeah, I have my own gods. Why would I send you back to build a temple for your God? Yeah. And he goes and he does that. Uh but he allows him to do it. Nehemiah does something very similar. Uh, and with Nehemiah, it's actually really interesting because he is the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. And that one's even more interesting because Artaxerxes kind of looks at Nehemiah and he's like, why are you so downcast? 
Like, what's wrong with you? You've never been, you've never been so depressed in your life as long as you've been in service to me. What's going on? Yeah. And he's like, well, I, it, it's just, I've heard of the state that my country people are in back in Israel. Like, there was a, there was a pain that Nehemiah had mm -hmm. for the people that were in Jerusalem rebuilding the temple because he kept hearing that people were coming to attack them even while they were trying to rebuild. So there's a really big thing here with Nehemiah where he wants to rebuild the city um, because he wants the temple to be rebuilt again. Yep. Uh, and I think the coolest thing here, dang it, I had it and now I lost it. Give me one second. Uh, Nehemiah 4, 15 through 20. Uh, there's a call that Nehemiah makes. Yep. In, in, in the rebuilding of Jerusalem, because he's focusing more on the city and not the temple, he, he finds out that there's going to be other people that are going to come and attack. And they start praying against it. The Lord kind of foils those people in their plans, but they're still planning to come and attack. So Nehemiah kind of takes stock, and he's like, well, there's a lot of holes in the wall. We need to get this repaired before they yeah. actually show up. Because if they don't, we're going to be screwed. Like, we're going to be... Mm -hmm. We're going to be sitting ducks, literally trying to rebuild our city and our temple, and everything's going to go to crap again. We can't have that happen. So this is, if you've ever heard the sword and the trowel, yeah. this is where this comes from. Uh, uh, Nehemiah four fifteen through 20 says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on... <clears throat> Excuse me. From that day on, half on my half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Mm -hmm. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside him, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So it's back to a call of relying on God yep. to defend them and to be their, their general, to be the person that comes and fights their battles for them. So it's just... It's this really huge, beautiful painting of you have been brought back in. Mm. Live accordingly and continue to trust God. Oh, that's good. But there is work that you need to do. That's huge. That's really, really big. Yes, it is. Because it's if I look at that, there's 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 not many there's not there's not many times within Old Testament that we can really apply things. Uh because it's Old Testament, <laughs> like we're not, we're under grace. We're not under law anymore. Um, but there's still lessons that we can learn from these things. So, like from this this thing of Nehemiah, it's you do have to fill those gaps in your life, and the enemy is constantly going to be attacking you, and you have to be able to rally. Right. You have to be able to trust God that He's fighting for you, that He's defending for you. But you also have to know how to defend yourself, mm -hmm. and you're going to defend yourself through His Word, like. As, as we see in scripture, as we see in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Yeah. The the Bible, the word, is our sword. Yeah, it's the sword. So you, 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 ha you really do have to work on building your life and building your walls to defend yourself against the enemy using scripture, but also using scripture to fight the enemy as, at the same time. And also helping the rest of your community and your church.
defend and fight at the same time as well. It's a constant battle that we're going through. And that's something that we can really learn from Nehemiah. Um, But really just those two things, those two books are really that they're coming back in to rebuild Jerusalem and return to living out God's law. I think that's something we can all learn as well. Absolutely. That's really good stuff right there, brother. Thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, we move on. We move along. We're moving along. We're going to finish off with uh, Chronicles. Mag. With the book of Chronicles. With the book of Chronicles. That's a big one. That's, that's two different books. Yeah, it's, what, is uh, the, what is the fastest way that we can give them Chronicles? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chronicles is two books. <laughs> two books. <laughs> so, I mean, I'll, I, I'll try to do like First Chronicles. And if you want to finish it off a second. Yeah. Um, so, First Chronicles, you know, there's no specific author for, for Chronicles. Uh, it's attributed to, uh, to Ezra just because he was writing around that same period of time. It's attributed to, uh, it's mostly... Um, it was likely written between 450 and 425. So the book of First and Second Chronicles covers mostly the same information as First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps the biggest distinction in First and Second Chronicles is the focus more on the on the priestly aspect of of that time period. So the book of first Chronicles was written after exile to help those returning to Israel to help them understand how to worship God Mm -hmm. with being away from Jerusalem for so many years. It's to no surprise that many people forget to worship God Mm -hmm. and they, they forget how to worship God properly. I mean, we're away from church for two weeks and we forgot and we forgot how to worship God. Imagine being away for such a long period of time, especially being in exile in a Persian land where they're worshiping all kinds of different, you know, uh, demigods and all that stuff. And they're forcing you to yeah. worship their gods. And- yeah. So this is kind of like a historical focus on the southern kingdom. So the um, the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, Levi, uh, so these tribes, uh, they tend more to be more faith. They, they tend to be more faithful to God. So the first nine chapters of First Chronicles are dedicated to the list of genealogies. Hmm. It's a little rough. It's a long list. It's a long list because it goes from Adam to David. But there's a purpose for all of that, and and the whole purpose of it is to tie all the loose ends together Mm. to make sure that there are no gaps in that wall to make sure that that it's outlined specifically because there's something so much greater coming along Mm. that the historical context needs to be absolutely flawless Mm -hmm. there can't be any gaps in those walls this is essentially what the book of chronicles is doing you know so so further lists and genealogies are, you know, they're scattered throughout the rest of First Chronicles. In between um, the book of First Chronicles, uh, there's records of David's um, ascension into the throne and his and his actions, you know, there after his his appointment and all that stuff. And then the book concludes with David's son Solomon becoming king of Israel, briefly outlined. 
Um, so the book of Chronicles also follows um, chapters 1, 9 through 23, there are selective genealogies, and then 924 through 1240 is David's asp, uh, you know, it's David's ascent, and then 13 through 20, verse 30, is David's reign. Um, so in the book of Chronicles, um, there's, you know, it in David's, it, it's ascent. You know, in David's song of thanksgiving in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 33, you know, he refers to the time when God will come to judge the earth. This is a foreshadowing of Matthew chapter 25, mm -hmm. in which Jesus basically describes the time when he came to judge the earth. You know, through the parables of, of the ten virgins and the talents, he warns those who who are found without the blood of Christ covering their sins will be cast into an outer darkness you know he um, so he encourages his people to be ready uh, because he comes and he will separate the sheep from the goats in judgment so you know part of the davidic covenant which god uh, uh he he already he excuse me he re uh, re Iterates in chapter 17 refers to the future Messiah, which would come as a descendant of David. And in verses 13 through 14, describes the son will be established in God's house and whose throne will be established forever. So this can only refer uh, to Jesus Christ. So what do we what do we do with this? Like how do what can we learn from all these genealogies? So, um, in in the genealogies in First and First Chronicles, it, it may seem dry to us, but you know they remind us that God knows each and every one of His children personally. Amen. You know, even down to the number on their hair on their heads. I know that's not really much of a magic trick with me, but. Someone like Sam, who actually has hair. Um, Mag has hair. He still knows. And the Lord still knows every follicle. Yeah. I mean, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, we, we were not, we're, you know, it tells us that we're so known by God, he even knows the numbers of hair on our heads. Mm. You know, and we come, you know, we can come to take comfort in that fact that, that, um, that, that who we are and what we do is written forever in god's mind he will never forget that he will never forget you never leave you never forsake you mm. um you know he if we belong to christ our names are written and the and the are written forever in the lamb's book of life you know revelation chapter 13 uh verse 8 uh so god's faithfulness is is to his people and to keep his promises mm. in the book of first chronicles we f we see the fulfillment of those promises to david you know who was um who he made king over israel so we see continually that that god is continuing to fulfill all of his promises and that's essentially what excuse me what what he's doing in this first in this first section of or in this first section of Chronicles, mm -hmm. he just reiterating what he's already stated. Right. And he's outlining in those genealogies just to bring to remembrance everything that he's done, historically speaking. Mm. Um, 
And he gives the Davidic covenant to show that the promise is still ongoing. Yeah. And then there's something else that, that obviously stands out in the book of Chronicles, and it's that obedience brings blessings, and mm -hmm. disobedience, it'll eventually bring judgment. Right. So those are some of the takeaways from the first, uh, from the first half of Chronicles. And then you come to the second book of Chronicles, mm -hmm. and uh, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's first and second Chronicles is really looking at like the history of of Israel from from Adam up until now, yeah, uh, up until Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, um, because this is this is being written, you know, the last book, the last verse of Second Chronicles. Uh, here it is. Second Chronicles 36, 22 through 22 and 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put into writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven. So this is a pagan king recognizing God. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house of Jerusalem, a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So it's literally from Adam up to the point where the Jews, the Israelites have been released from their exile to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. Yeah. Uh, this is everything that first and second chronicles covers and just as mag said in the first one it's really just that you know that that standpoint of obedience brings blessing when you're when you're obeying god's word yeah. uh and also how to worship god properly and everything that god knows about his individual children and the davidic covenant leading up to everything and how we worship him but then in second chronicles it's showing um second chronicles really starts to go into solomon's reign and the uh the decline that starts to happen from yeah. there and then from solomon's reign it breaks off into the fall of jerusalem up to the like it's up to the conclusion right it like, goes up it goes to the babylonian all the exile to it, all the way up to the babylonian exile like yeah, it covers that, that whole thing and it's really just like it really just divulges what happens when you stop worshiping god oh. what happened to the israelites when they stopped worshiping god they started to look into their own things they started to worship different gods they started to just go wherever they wanted to go and worship however they wanted to worship and not follow god's template that he had already set out for them and just all this debauchery that was happening uh you know something here it's um this act gives us the highlights of each king's reign like that's that's the even bigger thing because it's after Solomon you had king after king after king after king of a split kingdom now not just not just Israel as a whole but you had the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom in it and it divulges all of what those kings did in both kingdoms and how they faltered and how it made them fall apart and the division that it caused between the two kingdoms and everything that's happening that eventually leads them into all their exiles and it's just second chronicles is more the discipline of god upon his people for their disobedience right. so it's when we look at chronicles as a whole something that we can really take away from this is exactly what mag said in the, in the first part 
how to worship God and how to remember for that. So it's the I, I, I love I love what the Jews have because within Jewish worship there is the constant remembrance mm-hmm. of their past. Yep. There's the constant remembrance of their past. There's the constant reflection of their past and remembering everything that they did that that the Lord did for them yeah. in their past, whether it was salvation, whether it was through uh, liberating from their from from their slaveholders or from their exiles, uh, you know, even down to you know extra biblical not extra biblical uh, what's the word? What are those fourteen? The apocryphal books. Oh, the apocryphal books, like yeah. First and Second Maccabees and stuff. Yeah. Ha, uh, here's a big one: Hanukkah. 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 Uh, Hanukkah is not in the Bible. It's yeah. not in the in in the original sixty six. It's yeah. not in the Tanakh. It's it's within the apocryphal stuff. I think it comes from first and second Maccabees, right? Well, I mean, it's the, it's the celebration of, well, of it's, it's, it's the celebration of the Lord continuing oil for them for yeah. eight days burning while they were like under some type of mm-hmm. siege. Mm-hmm. And this is what they remember, but they remember those moments. They go back to these things and they remember what the Lord has done for them. And in that remembrance of what the Lord has done for them, it helps them to continue to worship him now yeah. and into the future. So really looking at first and second Chronicles, especially at the time that it was written, where they're coming back into Jerusalem and they're rebuilding the city and they're rebuilding the temple and they're trying to align themselves with the law again and align themselves with worshiping Yahweh again. It's how do we do this? Well, we need to remember our history. We need to remember where he brought, where he took us out of the places he took us to, how he continued to provide for us, how he continued to push us along and how he has kept us alive even though we have had so many enemies try to eradicate us over centuries this is why we worship god because of the history that we have with him like that's a huge huge thing to take away in first and second chronicles that again you can apply into your own life remember that moment that you were saved Mm -hmm. there's this is this is something that pastor omar talked to us uh, uh um uh, our staff about this past week was remembering that moment of our salvation and this is why we do the work of the ministry wow. because we were because we were saved he enlightened us to who his son was his son enlightened us to who the father was and because of that we continue to do ministry and we are refreshed and we are renewed with this zeal to continue proclaiming the gospel of who Amen. he is so it's like you look at all these things, you have to look at your history. Mm. Why do you worship God? Because he's done X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. Why do you worship God? Because of who he is yep. in my life. Yep. That's, that's first, incredible. That's, that's I love like, that. Right. I love that. That's that so amazing. good. That's good stuff right there, brother. That's good stuff right there. Um and every time, you know, every time I I think about the book of Chronicles, I always it's like, bro, it's like a, it's like a knee jerk reaction for me. I always think of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 11. And I've, I think I've read this a couple of times for us, but I'll, I'll read it one more time. Just as a, just as a brief reminder, Luke chapter 11, verse 49 says like this, and I'll read all the way down to verse 51, 49 says like this. 
Therefore also the wisdom of God said, this is Jesus speaking, I will send them the prophets and apostles, some who they will kill and persecute, mm. so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against them. Oof. Check this out. From the blood of Abel Oof. to the blood of Zechariah, who is perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be regarded, it will be required of this generation. Oof. This is a very critical passage in biblical theology. Mm -hmm. Because this is Jesus' affirmation of the Tanakh. Mm -hmm. This is Jesus' affirmation Absolutely. that the Old Testament is the very true authoritative word of God. Mm. Therefore, if Jesus is going to take it seriously, we, we should take, take it seriously. seriously. We should also look back at the prophets that that wrote. We should also look back at the promises that God made through those prophets. We should look back at all of those books and read them carefully and did and diligently. Why? Because they are not only are they the very words of God, but they're regarded by Jesus. Mm. They're important to Jesus. Mm. Why? Because it's going to be very telling of the future. Absolutely. History tends to repeat itself. And one thing I love about that is that in verse 51, he says, from the blood of Abel to Zechariah. So how do we know that Jesus affirms the entire Old Testament here? It's he's because about from Genesis. From Genesis all the way to the end of Chronicles. Abel was the first prophet that was murdered and Zechariah was the last prophet that was murdered. Chronicles is the last book in the in the Old Testament mm -hmm. speaking chronologically, which is funny enough from A to Z. The entire <laughs> Old Testament is to be regarded, read, studied, interpreted as diligently as possible because it's important to Jesus. Amen. Therefore it should be important to us. Absolutely. And next week, Psalms. Next week we have Psalms. Next, next week, week is going Psalms. to be. Uh, I think I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it will be. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to read you nothing but Psalms, and that'll be the episode. I don't know. There's anything wrong with that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, Acts says, sing Psalms to one another. That's it. We're going to sing you the Psalms. Oh We're going to sing you Psalm 119. Me and Mag don't have the best voices, by the way. Definitely not. <laughs> but we're going to keep moving along, guys. We're moving right along. Grace and peace. When all you got to keep is strong, move along, move along like I know you do. Even when your hope is gone Move along, move along Just to make it through When all you got